This message was recorded at the Cross United Church Summer Sundays Drive-In Service during the 2020 coronavirus pandemic, so audio quality is a little bit different than usual. You can find out more about Cross United Church at Cross United SFL on social media or at crossunited.org. chapter 9. John chapter 9. On your way in, you should have gotten a copy of the book Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sufferers and Sinners. And uh, this is a wonderful book that we're going to be spending the next few weeks reading together as a church um, and, and just hearing the heart of Christ for us, his people. And so inside that book, there's a copy of a reading plan and what we're going to do is we're just going to read a chapter a day, except for Sundays. Sundays will be here. And uh, just hearing from this book about what Christ has done for us and how much Christ loves us. And so I want to encourage you to join in. If you're not here, if you're watching on Facebook or you're checking in on uh, online, uh, we would love to get you a copy of that book. We do have enough for everyone. And so uh, let me know if you want a copy. We'll get you a copy. Uh, let's pray, and we're going we're gonna to dive into the Scripture. Father, I ask that you would just be with us and help us this morning to, um, to hear from you, to hear your heart, to hear your work and what you've done. Lord, I just pray that you would meet us all in the moment and the way um, that we need. Help me to say what you want me to say, not say anything I shouldn't say. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. All right, honk if you're a Florida native. All right, any Florida transplants? All right. All right, I'm a Florida transplant. I grew up in Northern California, and I've lived in Florida for about 11 years now. And the first few years of our life in Florida were a difficult adjustment. And uh, one of the reasons for that, maybe the main reason for that, is the weather. Um, I was used to cool mornings and evenings, warm summer weather, um, cool in the winter, not cold. But uh, I got to Florida, it's a lot different than that, isn't it? It's very different than that. And uh, I was used to a more traditional spring, summer, fall, and winter rhythm of, of the seasons. And, uh, and Florida's, Florida doesn't have that. Florida doesn't have that seasonal rhythm. And, uh, and it was really difficult for me to adjust to because I kind of was coming into Florida having my own experience and now having to experience something completely different. And, and a light bulb moment for me happened when a friend of mine who's a Florida native posted something on social media. It was in October, and he said, this is the day I wait for all year long. That first day in October where you can feel that the breeze has cooled down, and it's the start of Florida fall and into Florida winter, which is one of the most beautiful places to be. And once I realized that the rhythm of the season in Florida was more like 
not spring, summer, fall, and winter, but hot, extremely hot, cooling down, and beautiful, um, I began to adjust and uh, in, in, in to be more content in our life in Florida because I knew what to expect and I knew what season we were in. And I just knew if it's July or August, it's going to be hot. And if it's June, it's going to be hot. And if it's December or January, it's probably going to be beautiful. And, uh, and once I learned the rhythm of the season and what season we were in and not m mapping it onto my own expectations of seasons, but the season that was actually what I was living in in that moment, life became a lot more manageable. Well, in our life, uh, in, in general, this, this is something that holds true. A lot of problems in our lives happen because we don't understand the season that we're living in. We don't understand the season that we're in. And what happens when we understand the season, it unlocks all sorts of things for us. It dislodges discontentment and it releases joy in our lives. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says that there's an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. So maybe you're in a season with small kids or you're in a season of, of education and getting your education or realigning your career. Maybe you're in a season of saving for a house or adjusting to having an empty nest for the first time or retirement. When you understand the season we're in and you're in personally, it helps you to navigate that season more faithfully and fruitfully. Well, society-wide, we are in a season of suffering. We are in the midst of a global pandemic. In, in our situation specifically, all sorts of tension surrounding racial injustice. And for the last few months, we have been in a species-wide and society-wide season of suffering. And in the midst of these seasonal, species-wide, society-wide sufferings, we also have our individual stories of suffering. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to just look at, briefly from John 9, three ways that Jesus meets us in seasons of suffering. Three ways that Jesus meets us in seasons of suffering. John 9, 1 through 3 says, As Jesus was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. First thing you need to understand about how Jesus meets you in seasons of suffering is this. Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you in your season of suffering. Notice in John 9, 1, it says, As he was passing by, he saw a man. How many hundreds or even thousands of people had passed by this man and just ignored him? and turned their head. How many had seen this man, but never really seen this man? How many had never looked beyond his suffering and seen him? Jesus sees this man in the midst of his suffering. It says the man, the man was blind. Blindness would have been 
almost a sentence of death in the ancient world. There were no OSHA requirements. They didn't have voiceover on their iPhone. They didn't have Braille. They didn't have accommodations for disabled people. They basically, someone who was in, had this sort of a physical dif difficulty was at the mercy of the people around them, and often the people around them were not very merciful. This man depended entirely on people seeing him, and I wonder how often nobody saw him. They ignored him. But Jesus didn't. Jesus sees this man. He sees you. In your season of suffering, he sees you. Maybe it's a lifelong season of suffering. Maybe you were born with a physical or mental difficulty. Maybe there's a condition, a disordering of your, your mind or your body that you have been dealing with for as long as you can remember. Maybe you're in a shorter term season of suffering, a season of singleness, a season of sadness, a season of childlessness, a season of poverty, a season of spiritual oppression. Like I said, we all are together in this society-wide season of suffering. Many have felt sick about what's happening and many have literally been sick physically. Maybe some of you are overwhelmed with loneliness. Maybe you're overwhelmed with anxiety. Maybe your physical or mental health is starting to fray. Maybe this has been a season of tremendous financial strain. Maybe someone you love has gotten sick or someone you love has died. Maybe a relationship or multiple relationships have strained and maybe even come apart. This verse shows that Jesus sees what others overlook. And he sees you. He sees you in your season of suffering. And he sees us in our season of suffering. Whatever you're suffering, Jesus sees you, and he has suffered in a similar way. If the system has justice of justice has failed you, or someone like you, you know that Jesus suffered the system of justice failing him. If your friends have distanced themselves from you, Jesus suffered his friends betraying him and abandoning him in his darkest moment. If you felt anxious about the days ahead, Jesus knelt before his father, overwhelmed with the, the, the road before him and begged for the father to change the cup, to take the cup that he was about to drink on the cross. If you've lost your job or financially, you're, you're, you're not sure how you're gonna pay the next set of bills. Jesus knows what it's like to have nowhere to lay his head. He literally had to fish for a coin to pay his taxes. If you've lost someone you love, you know, Jesus stood at the graveside of one of his best friends, Lazarus, and he wept in grief for his friend. If you felt far from God, Jesus has cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Everything you have walked and lived and limped and wept and bled, Jesus has walked 
and lived and limped and wept and bled. And he did this because he sees you and he loves you. And he has entered into your greatest suffering, the suffering you could have never taken for yourself, the suffering that your sin deserves, the suffering of death and separation from God, the punishment that a righteous God visits on sinful creatures. And oh, he was sinless. He gave his life on the cross to be pinned with railroad-sized spikes against rough-cut beams of wood and to hang up until he died under the wrath of God so that anyone who would turn from their sin and trust in him will be forgiven of their sin and given eternal life. Jesus sees you in your suffering. The second thing we see in this passage is that where others see a problem, Jesus sees a person. Where others see a problem, Jesus sees a person. The disciples say in verse 2, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The disciples, if you've ever read the book of Job, they're like Job's friends. They think they know what's happening. They think it's because someone has sinned along the way. They'd read verses in the Bible that the Lord visits the sin of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation, and they'd misinterpreted it to think that this poor man was suffering because of something in his own life or the life of his parents. What we see, though, there is they're asking the wrong question. Their assumptions are completely wrong. When you're engaging any person, you need to understand that person is a sinner and a sufferer. That person is, is sinning against God, but they're also suffering in a world full of, of pain and hurt. Recently, I had a friend on Facebook who kept posting all of these weird conspiracy theories about the pandemic. And I ignored most of it, but one day I kind of got sucked into a discussion with him. And as we were talking, it became really obvious that his issue was not with the global pandemic and the response to it. The issue was that he was personally suffering in this season. So often people, they're not really mad about what they say they're mad about. What they're really doing is they are responding out of their sin and their suffering. Every person you meet is, is bearing the weight of their sin, but they're also bearing the weight of a world that is suffering, and they are suffering. More than that, if that person is a Christian and you are a Christian, they're not just a sinner and a sufferer, they are a sibling. They are someone who is a mutual heir of the inheritance of the Father. I think too often we're aligning ourselves against our brothers and sisters in Christ because of petty differences. Galatians 5.13 says that we were called to be free, brothers and sisters, but do not use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the thing. You don't know God's secret will 
in the life of a person or in the world around us. Deuteronomy 7, 29, 29 says, The hidden things belong to the Lord and the things that re are revealed to us. God has revealed his general purpose in the world, but he has not revealed through the Bible or to you or to me his specific purpose in this season. We can make some general hypotheses. We can pray for discernment. We can pray for a spirit of wisdom, but we do not know the exact specifics of why this is happening in our world. We don't know why the world is, is broken in the specific way that it is and things are happening in the specific way that they are happening. And when we try to diagnose the source of suffering in our world or in the life of a person, we're like these disciples. We miss it by a football field. What we can be sure of is this. This is the third principle from this text. And since the rain's coming, we're going we're gonna to pray it holds off for a minute, and we're going to finish up. The third point, hear this. Your season of suffering is designed to display God's glory for your good. The season of your suffering is divinely designed for God's glory and your good. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. specifics all of the time. We know this. God is sovereign. Ephesians 1.11. He works all things according to the counsel of His will. Number two, we know that God is good. Psalm 119 verse 68. You are good and you do good. We know that the greatest good in the world is the glory of God's name. Leviticus 10.3 says, this is what the Lord has spoken. I will demonstrate my holiness and will reveal my glory to those who are near me. We know that God is sovereign, God is good, and God is passionately committed to his own glory. And what we can be sure of is that in the midst of that, he is committed to the good of his children. To display his gracious and loving work in their lives. I want to end with this quote from the book it out, gentle and lowly, page 11. Do you realize what is true of you if you are in Christ? That's the key, if you are in Christ. Those in union with him are promised that all the haunted brokenness that infects everything, every relationship, every conversation, every family, every email, every awakening to consciousness in the morning, every job and every vacation, everything, all of the brokenness will one day be rewound and reversed. Hear this. The more darkness and pain we experience in this life, the more resplendence and relief in the next. As the character says in C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, reflecting biblical teaching, this is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven 
want to take and work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. And end with this story. Judson's baseball season in late March got canceled. Baseball's our favorite sport. I was looking forward to coaching him. The season got canceled. So we bought him this thing called a, a hitaway. And what it is is it's two cables attached to a pole. And at the end, at a point, come the there's a baseball attached to it. And the way it works is you hit the ball and it wraps around the pole tightly. And then it spins back around the pole and you can keep hitting it and practice your baseball swing. It only works if it's round, wound and hit tightly around the pole. And this is what I want you to hear. The suffering in our lives, if we are in Christ, is like God winding that up so that we can experience proportionate glory and good and grace in the life to come. That the more we suffer in this life, the more glorious and more grace and kindness we will experience in the kingdom of God. So those who are suffering, this is why Jesus can say, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Because the measure of your suffering marks the measure of your satisfaction and joy in the kingdom of God. This is what God is doing, friends. This is what God is doing. This is why if you are in a season of suffering and you are in Christ, you can trust his goodness and his grace and his love for you. If you're not in Christ, it's a very easy step. It's simple. It's life-changing. It's huge. And all it takes is turning from your sin and yourself and turning to God in faith. Will you bring us in this season of suffering to the glory of your name? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. And as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he is with us always until the end of the age. You may go in peace. You are dismissed. God bless you.